this morning, um, we're doing the last message. Caleb, do you know what number we're on? 17. Okay, so this is 17 or this is 18? This is 17. Okay, I think this is the last message in this series. Um, Now, ordinarily, if you were going to teach a series on anointing, this message would come first, right? What do we classically, I haven't even told you what we're talking about yet, but what do you classically think of if someone says we're going to do a Bible study on anointing? Or we're, what do we think of automatically? Holy Spirit, power, manifestations of the kingdom, right? Casting of demons, healings, all the manifestations that the Word of God talks about, right? Well, we know we've been through um, 16 messages, that means, and we really have not done this yet. And I just want to tell you, that's deliberate. <laughs> we have to understand that the anointing is it, it's not a thing, and it's, it's not encapsulated in, in manifestations, <laughs> okay? It's not spiritual gifts. We've talked about this in this series. You know, spiritual gifts, the manifestation of the Spirit is the fruit of anointing, right? You guys are pros now. After 17 messages, I should just have you all come up here for like two minutes each, say what you know. You guys want to do that? No, okay, well then I'll, I'll go ahead and teach it then. Um, but spiritual gifts are not anointing. They are the fruit of anointing. We now know that anointing is a person, it's the Holy Spirit of God, and it's the effective presence upon. Amen? It's an intimacy with the Father. Knowing how the Spirit is moving in the will of the courts of heaven is anointing. I don't care if we're, I'm, th- I'm talking about across the board. It is, um, it is personal for you in your ministry, your calling, your life, your roles in your family, everywhere you go. It's personal. It's the presence of God upon, and it's corporate. We've talked about that in this series, right? It is upon his bride. It is his plan that, it, that the glory of his presence is so powerful upon his bride that the communi- the church, that the community would look here and say, man, what is it about those people? Well, they're the people of the presence of God. Now, does that carry manifestations? Yes, <laughs> of course it does. We just The reason we're doing this message last in the series is because we, we just have to avoid the error in thinking that the anointing is all about manifestations. On the other hand, and we're, I'm about to jump into Scripture here, but on the other hand, we also have to be crystal clear that the anointing does have the manifested power of God. You, you cannot read this book and come away from it not realizing that the power of God upon you, upon his church, for the manifestation of a kingdom was the plan. Amen? But you can see why I didn't do this message first in this series. Um, I just did 17 messages because I wanted to get in the Guinness Book of World Records or something. I don't know how long the longest series is, but um, has it been good? Okay, so you all are pros now. You're now ready to talk about the manifest power that you're made for. Look at the person next to you and just say, I was made for power. I'm supposed to be powerful. See, it's okay if we say it. You don't have to start getting scared. I know how much abuse is out there in the church over the, over the centuries, the, the, the years of church history. Okay, I know what's happened. And the enemy would love to poison the belief that we have so that we don't think we're made for power, so that we squirm around <laughs> thinking that we can witness to the goodness of our Father without power and authority. I better go to the notes so we're not here till this evening. Uh, <laughs> um, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. Because, you know, what did Jesus say? Jesus, after he rose from the dead, what? He came and he said, all authority has been given to me. In other words, he submitted that much all the way to death so he would have all authority. And then he said, I now give that authority to you. 
right? But then what did he say next? Oh, oh, but don't do anything yet. <laughs> Isn't that what he said? That all authority has been given to you, but don't do anything. Wait. Why? Because authority is not enough. I think we have to say this again. What's authority? Authority is the calling on your life. How many of you have a calling? Okay, we're going to pray for some of you because everybody should have your hand up. Everyone had, There's no such thing as being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian, and not having a high calling upon your life. Not like everybody else's, but yours. Your, that is your authority. That is your co-mission. You got it? Your commission. Mission with Jesus. That comes from spoken authority from the courts of heaven. But Jesus still says, don't do anything. Stay right there. Why? Because it requires more than authority, doesn't it? How did he send them out? In power power and authority. It also requires the power. Okay, so here we are. Did I tell you 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Okay, right in verse 1. I'm just going to start in here. And I, brethren, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. What do you do? Not with excellence of speech. We're going to find out why. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Can anybody relate with Paul in your callings? Yeah, that's me every Sunday morning. <laughs> weakness and fear and trembling. <laughs> And then verse 4, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Now listen, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That, listen, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Did you hear the connection? Yeah. It's so important to get this. You've got to hear the connection. Why? Did Paul say that I don't come in persuasive words? I come in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. Youth, are you listening? Because your generation is going to blow away the power that this generation had. God's got things planned for you guys to manifest the power of the kingdom like we don't even dream about it yet. This message is for you guys. Okay, and what is it? It's in demonstration of spirit and power. And then it says what? Something about your faith. Now listen to this. That, that's like so that, okay, your faith should not be in the wisdom of men. That would be useless, right? <laughs> but in the power of God. How important is it that upon you, upon the church, we are manifestors of the power of God. Well, this just told us that we can't even have proper faith without the power of God, without the manifestation of the kingdom. And I'm going to show you this in the word of God. You know what I'm doing? I hope I'm building hunger. I hope I'm building a great hunger that is going to absolutely drive you nuts. <laughs> Because it should drive us nuts. Do you know that? It should drive us nuts. We need the power. And, and listen, we cannot avoid the subject of the power of God on the church, of the manifestation of the kingdom, just because it's been abused. Go to John 16. <clears throat> John 16, I'm going to start in verse 12. Here it says, I still have many things to say to you, Jesus speaking, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. Who's his, whose authority does he speak on? His father. Yep. The authority. Jesus sits on the throne in submission to the father. This is the authority of the courts of heaven. That's all he speaks. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. Now, here it is. For he will take of what is mine. This is the Holy Spirit's job. You ready? He will take of what is mine, what is Jesus's, which is all authority and power, and declare it to you. 
All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So important, Jesus felt like he had to repeat himself twice. Did you see that? I want to tell you about that word declare. That word declare means show forth or rehearse. Y'all know what a rehearsal is. Do you know that we are, in some kind of sense, we're in a grand rehearsal right now. We are calling forth things of the kingdom that are not yet. Do you, I'm, I'm going to have to teach on this sometime from King David's life, but not for this morning. Do you know that it is your call to reach forward to things of the kingdom that are not yet and make them so right now? That's this word declare. This isn't like, um, let me declare something that's true. This word declare means actually show forth, manifest is what that word declare means. Rehearse it. You've all heard um, uh, kingdom now, kingdom not yet. It's our job to make the not yet now. Amen. And that's how right out of Exodus 33 from this series, that's how the world says those are the people of God. Go ahead and tell the person again and next year, I'm made for power. <laughs> I am supposed to be powerful. Do you know that um, your desire to be powerful is probably the holiest desire you have? I know it's been poisoned because, because the world has abused and twisted our, our idea of power into this evil thing where it's like, oh, no, I'm a humble Christian. <laughs> right? It's all about humility. Well, let me tell you, your power comes from submission to the courts of heaven that we're reading about here. Absolute submission is your only participation in the anointed life. But you were made for the anointed life, and I'm going to show you. It is impossible to witness to the goodness of our Father without being powerful. No act of the flesh will ever be enough to witness to the goodness of the Father or call people into, into Jesus' kingdom. The Word of God never even teases around with the idea that acts of flesh would ever be enough to do anything on the spiritual realm in hearts or in the witness to the Father. <laughs> Amen, Pastor. <laughs> I want to, huh? It's serious stuff. It's serious stuff. We've got to stop being afraid of the idea that we were made for the power of God. You can see why this is number 17 instead of number one in the series. If you did this as number one, we would end up all kinds of crazy places, wouldn't we? I want to show you a parallel. Um, I thought I was going to read it, but you know what? I'm just going to tell you about it because I can already tell. I, I have too much. There are certain things I have to say today, and I'm going to make sure I get to those. So for just a minute, I want to talk about um, Elijah and Elisha. You all know who they were, the prophets. The first thing I want to point out, I thought this was going to be a whole message in this series, but apparently not. The first thing I want to show you is, did you know that um, anointing is imparted? It's very, very biblical. Um, we may read about it this morning, but the Word of God says, do not neglect the laying on of hands, or the laying of hands. Do you know what that is? Do not neglect that we are imparters of the Holy Spirit. What you also see in the story of Elijah and Elisha, and just in case you're not incredibly familiar with that story, I'm going to tell some of it in just a minute, but um, is that we see a relationship of mentoring, don't we? Elijah carries, perhaps more than anyone before him, carries this great anointing for the power of God. What did he need that for? Because he was to witness, just like you're to be a witness, and you cannot witness to God without God's power. So Elijah has this great anointing, and, and Elisha is in this mentoring relationship. Now, you guys know how the story goes. Um, the only way Elisha is going to get the anointing imparted or passed on from Elijah is if he sticks by Elijah's side, okay? He's going to need, I think we might read this part, but he's, he's going to need to literally have his eyes on Elijah when Elijah ascends and the mantle of the anointing falls off on Elisha, yes? In fact, um, let me read verse 9. Did I give you that? Liz, 
of Second um, Kings chapter 2, verse 9. Awesome. Verse 9 goes, um, And it was so when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask um, what I may do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, Please um, let a double portion of your spirit come upon me. Now watch this. We've also alluded throughout this series that anointing is by measure, right? You're seeing it here. In case you're wondering, like, do, do I, is it by measure? Do I, do I get it all? How does this work? I want to tell you that the authority, you get it all, right? You, the authority on what you're called to, and you all have one, the authority of the witness that you are supposed to be is unlimited. It's only limited by what your call is. Are you following me? But anointing, the power of God that is the active power in that authority, is by measure. And you see that here. Now, Elisha is, um, is very bold here, isn't he? He's a, he knows what he wants. And so I just I kind of want to like pose at you guys today. Do you know what you want? <laughs> How would you pray? Are you satisfied with what you've got? The power of God. Does it make you hunger or are you satisfied? I'm going to read. Well, we'll get there. Don't do that, Paul. Um, yeah, it's by measure. And I believe we need to know what we want. I think if you don't know what you want, what was one? We just had a conference last week, and it was the six questions of Jesus. And one of the questions is, is what do you want? That Jesus asked people, what do you want? Do you know if you don't know what you want, you're not asking for what you want? How could you possibly be? Now, I'm going to show you something. Have you noticed that this pattern between Elijah and Elisha is, is the foreshadow, is the exact pattern of Jesus' anointing, his mantle falling on the church? I see some, some of you knew before I'm looking at the faces. This is great. Um, both rose into the sky. Do you know that both times, when anointing is imparted, do you know that there's increase? We, we could teach all morning on that, but let's don't. Let's just recognize for a moment that um, Elisha got double portion, right? What portion does the church get? Let's read this. I'm going to skip a little bit. I had to do that just to keep it interesting for Liz back there. <laughs> Go to J You're welcome. Go to John 14 and verse 12. And here Jesus is speaking. Now watch this. This is your anointing. This is yours. It says, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. So let's just start right there. You know that you are made to do the works that Jesus does. Period. Are you going to need power for that? Okay. <laughs> now, he doesn't stop there. And he says, greater works than these he will do. Did you hear it? Now, do you usually think of Jesus that way? Greater works how often do you wake up in the morning and you're thinking, I am going to do greater things than Jesus did today? <laughs> no, you should start. That would, um, <laughs> you see, we're giggling and we shouldn't be. We either believe Jesus's words or we don't. Jesus either meant it when he said it or he didn't. And I'm going to show you scriptures on belief. This says, most assuredly, I'm started back, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Do you know why it says because I go to my Father? You see, we're going to do greater works because, you see, going to the Father, what's it say? He resurrected this immediately after he ascended, you know that when he was ascending, um, he was talking. Let's read it. I can't help myself. Just go to it. This is um, Luke 24, and I'm going to start reading. Um, yeah, I'm going to start reading verse 46, and we're going to find out why it's because he goes to the Father, okay? 
Verse 46, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That goes back to like five, six messages ago, okay? Anointing only by submission. Jesus modeled the spirit-filled life by submission. Okay, then 47, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witness of these things. Listen, Verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What's that? The Holy Spirit, okay? But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed or endued with power from on high. So, in other words, just before he ascends, which I'm going to read, keep your finger right there, he's talking about the anointing for his mantle to fall off on the church. Tracking? And then verse 15, it says, and he led... Um, He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. It's the story of Elijah, right? And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Now listen to me. Why does it say in the John 14 passage, it says greater works than he's... Then these he will do, greater works you will do, because he goes to his Father. You see, it's because of the, the relationship of how this works. Jesus went to the Father, and the Word of God says he sat down at the right hand of the, of the Father. On the throne of power, where all authority and power issues from. Because of that, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to take of what is Jesus's and give it to you, the mantle of Christ is supposed to be upon you, upon your life. So you know that everybody in this room has a different calling, right? It merges in really weird, spooky ways when you're married because the Word of God says you're one flesh, right? But we all have our own calling. But um, let me put something out there. There's something similar about all of, all of our callings. There's something that is the same no matter how different your calling is. You know what it is? He said, go heal the sick, cast out demons, free those who are in bondage, Okay? You tracking? I don't care what your calling is, and I don't care about your unique gifts, uh, your unique mix of spiritual gifts. You listening, guys? I don't care what your calling is, but I do know that you were made for the power of the courts of heaven. And whenever he sent the 12, when he sent the 70 or 72, there was something common about every single sending when he sent people out. And the common thing was, you're supposed to cast out demons, heal the sick, set those who are in bondage free. You got it? I think this goes back to message number one in this series. Can you all remember that? (laughs) We talked about whose anointing do you have? Jesus's. (laughs) What other anointing would you have? It wouldn't make sense to have some other anointing. You see, disciples become like their master. They don't train under a master, under, under a rabbi in order to have some other anointing. They, they, they walk with, they watch, they keep their eyes on as he ascends. In other, what's that mean to us? In other words, our eyes continually be fixed on the fact that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Where are you seated? With him on the throne in the heavenly places. Why is that necessary? The power. Because the calling on your life is to manifest the very anointing of Jesus. So it doesn't matter. What, what should you do? Should I do this or that? Should I, should I stay here or should I move to some other state where, I'm, where my kids are? Should I? Hopefully that was not a real example. <laughs> Should I do this or do that? Should I do this or do that? The word of God would kind of go, I don't know, choose. Just make sure wherever you go that you're casting out demons, you're healing the sick, you're setting the, the, those in bondage free, <laughs> and you're imparting the Holy Spirit upon others because you're made for that. 
Okay. <clears throat> Before we move on, I, I have to say one thing. Do you know there are two places we can, um, we can make our theology from? Or two ways, not places. How about ways? It can work like this. We can create the belief of how much we're made for the power of God from our failures and disappointments. You tracking with me? Let me make this really real. Has anybody ever prayed for something? Maybe you've prayed for someone who is sick to be healed or you've, you've prayed for a breakthrough in someone's life that you love, a friend or a family member, and, and you did not get the result you wanted. <laughs> you've prayed, you asked God, you heard some of my teaching before, so you knew you were made for power and authority, and yet you did not get what you asked for. Now, listen to me. We can, option one is, we can create what our belief in who we are, who God is, and so therefore who we are and what we're called to can be created from that. We can begin to make doctrines or theologies out of unbelief, out of disappointment, out of confusion over unanswered prayer. And I think that we do it all the time. I think the church has fallen into a long season. I don't know. I'm, I'm not old enough to go past a few decades ago. But at least for decades, the church of Jesus is slipping into a season where half of what we believe was not formed from the word of God. It was not formed from what Jesus says. It was formed from our disappointments. Oh, I laid hands and I prayed for the sick and they weren't healed. So we make a new theology that accommodates our failure instead of believing the words of Jesus that says, my anointing is for you. You are the place of my power. And you're going to do greater things than I did because anointing increases when it passes from one to another and from one generation to another generation. Or... We can let the word of God make our belief in who he is and what we're made for. You know, I would rather pray. I would rather pray for the freedom for people a hundred times or for healing for people a hundred times and be disappointed, 99 of them, and have the one time when somebody's life is set free. It's precious when the power of God breaks off on the behalf of somebody he loves. It's amazing. Like, what would it be, two weeks ago now down at the hospital with Chuck? It's amazing. As far as I'm concerned, that was the raising of somebody from the dead. I'll pray 999 times for something the doctors say is impossible and be disappointed every time for the, for the thousandth time when God says, my power's going to break out on behalf. Somebody's going to be raised and recover. You see, we don't form our theology on the 99 times we're disappointed. Not if we believe Jesus and his words and what the word of God says. I, I'm going to stubbornly, I don't know about you, but I stubbornly choose to believe the word of God, even if I'm disappointed half the time when I've prayed for somebody. Okay. <laughs> Go to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to show you some good things. I'm going to try to land the plane of this series, okay? You ready? <laughs> Seatbelts in the upright position. <laughs> We're coming in for a landing. I'm running a little bit low on time, so I'm just I'm gonna grab a couple of things out of this passage and then we're gonna slow down in a spot. <coughs> Hebrews five. Um start I'm just gonna read uh no, I'm not. I can't do it. We're reading it from verse 6, okay? It says, you are, a, speaking of Jesus, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, quoting previous prophecy about him, okay? Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, 
Now, what are we reading? This is Jesus praying, okay, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Let me just stop there for a second. Did you catch it? Do you imagine that when Jesus prayed to his father that, that he did it with vehement cries and tears? Now, wait a second. Jesus, Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal God. He's the son of God. Yes, that's true. But let me keep reading. Do you picture him that way? I mean, I'm really asking. Yeah, I know. Most of the time I probably don't either, but we probably should, right? He ministered by the Spirit, okay? And it goes on, goes on and says, and was heard because of his godly fear. Verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected. Stop right there. Do you normally think of Jesus that way? Did you see what we just read? Jesus learned obedience? Well, now, wait a second. That's what the Word of God says. And how did he do it? Through the things he suffered. Now, let me tell you what suffered means. I mean, there's pain, there's suffering. I, I see that looks back for you. Oh, nobody likes suffering. Well, actually, let me let this off the hook a little bit. Sometimes it is straight up true suffering, okay? But this word actually means persevering. In other words, this is telling us he persevered in prayer. He learned the kind of obedience that manifested the kingdom of God through a perseverance, through suffering. He became the author. Um, and let me tell you what, and having been perfected, do you know the word of God says, be, be perfect as I am perfect? Does that feel daunting to anybody? <laughs> Let's get this accurate. Actually, it doesn't have to be that daunting because I'm going to tell you what it means. The word perfected in the original language actually means complete. Now I need to tell you what complete means. You could read about seriously. You could read, <laughs> you could read about it in um, Ephesians chapters two and three. You read about it in Corinthians. You read about it in these various places. The Word of God says that we be that we all go together to become the fullness of God. Okay, perfected or complete means equipped with everything you need. That's all it means. It means perfected into this. The stature of Jesus Christ, it says in Ephesians chapter 4. What stature? That is the ability and power and authority to, to flow in the will of God, filled, I better stop flailing, filled with everything you need. That's complete. That's being made perfected. Most of us think about sin and stuff, right? Do you know that that doesn't mean this? And I can prove it to you. You know, it wouldn't make theological sense to interpret this that way. And here's why. You're already perfected. And it's nothing you'll ever do. The Word of God is clear about that. You're only, you're per, you already stand perfect before the throne of God and for only one reason and one reason ever, for the, the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's as true today as it will be when you're 40,000 years old someday. So it can't mean that. This completion, now let me show you this. I'm going to prove it now as we read on. It goes on and says, He became the author of eternal uh, salvation to all who obey him. Verse 10, Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Sometimes um, it amazes me what these writers get away with. <laughs> Can you imagine if I'm up here saying that to you guys? You've become so dull of hearing. I don't even know why I try. <laughs> That's what this is doing, though. Verse 12. Now, here's what we're getting to why we're reading this. Um, yeah, and they're, this, they're about to get away with more stuff. Listen to this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Other places say the elementary things of the mysteries of God. Do you wonder what those are? What's elementary? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, do you have, that's right, those are all great answers. But do you have like a list in your head? What are the elementary things of someone who's a disciple of Jesus? 
someone who claims to be Christian. I shouldn't say claims. That's kind of like these authors are writing. <laughs> Let's see what they are. You ought to be teachers. What's that mean? And it, like you should become a teacher? No, that's not. It's saying you ought to be someone who can explain the basic stuff to people. Now, where do you find out what the basic stuff is? We're getting there. Um, <laughs> and here it is. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness and is a babe. I'm glad it's in the Bible because I'm, if I was up here saying this stuff to you guys and I wasn't just reading the scriptures, you guys are a bunch of babies. That's what's going on here. It's like they're being scolded like, like you guys are, you need a bottle. You guys are, that, that's what he's doing. You're sipping on the milk when you should be chewing solid food. You should have become someone that stands in an authority of an understanding of this stuff so that you're a power manifester. Now watch this. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Now a metaphor is being used here. You have to understand something about the Jewish culture. Do you know what age in the Jewish culture you're of full age? 13. <laughs> 13 years old. Is, and it's a metaphor. It's not, don't believe me, I'm not saying by the time you're 13, you should have, that's not what I'm doing. But I am saying it was a very young age in their culture when they considered that you are now of spiritual authority like any other man or, or any, you know, any other person in this community. You've arrived. But watch this. That's not even why we're reading this at full age. That is those, listen to these strange words, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, we got to break this down, or for sure we'll miss it. Um, by reason of use, have their senses exercised. Let's try it like this. That word senses um, in the original language actually comes from the word organ. So this is like the spiritual organ. Does that work? Am, am I doing okay? Okay, and here it says, um, that is those who by reason of use. What is that? In other words, experience. <laughs> okay, because you operate in this stuff. By reason of use, your spiritual organ becomes exercised like a muscle. Like, if I had one, I'd flex. I'm just saying <laughs> the same way. Exercise like at the gym. This word exercise means training, disciplined, exercised. So by operating in this stuff, your spiritual organ is trained so that you discern both good and evil. Now, what's that? Is it like, whoa, I can, boy, I can sure tell the difference between good and evil now. It's not that. You have to understand what this figure of speech means. This goes all the way back to the garden, right? Which tree did they eat from that they shouldn't have? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. And what does that mean? It's not, it's not like um, the knowledge of good and evil, in other words, is discerning the will of heaven. It's being, um, and what they did wrong in eating that tree was they were becoming their own God. I don't need another will I can discern what's good and what's evil on my own, thank you. That's the fall. That's what still plagues us all, right? And here, this is saying that by, by reason of use, by, by operating in the power you're made for, by reason of use, your spiritual or your spiritual senses are trained to understand the will of God and operate in it. Now, don't forget the context. This is right after it's talking about, don't, do you need a bottle, right? It's, it's um, this is talking in the context of what should be the elementary things. Now, watch this. You want a list of the elementary things? Here it is. Let's continue. There were no chapter breaks in the original, so we're going to keep reading right into chapter 6. And it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to completion, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. 
and of faith toward God. Sounds pretty elementary so far, right? The first principles of the mysteries of God. Now watch this. Of the doctrine of baptisms. Do you notice that's plural? Why? That's it. That's it. So there, there, there are multiple baptisms mentioned, right? There's the baptism of water. And at Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist said, he's the one who's going to baptize you with, with fire. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So what should be elementary, the first principles are the doctrine of baptisms, water and fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's the first principles. Now, don't, it doesn't stop there. And of laying on of hands... This is supposed to be elementary. First principles, that I lay hands, I am empowered to lay hands and impart the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and say, that's for me too. And it's elementary. Like if we don't understand that, we're still like sipping from a bottle. (laughs) That's what this is saying. And it goes on and says, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment and this we will do if God permits. In other words, get these, get this church. At, um, and th- this is written to the Jewish believers, the book of Hebrews. Okay? And it's, it's to get them from the elementary things so that they become the manifestors of this stuff because you cannot witness to the Father without both power and authority. Otherwise, the moment Jesus rose from the dead, he would have come and said, all authority is mine. I now give it to you. Go for it. (laughs) But he didn't. He said, all authority is mine. I give it to you. Don't do anything. (laughs) Because for sure you will be doing something that is completely of the flesh. Please don't do anything. You need to wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon because you're made for power. All right, now I'm at that moment where I have to decide how deep, how, how tall our waders need to be. Let me see. Okay. Yeah, I think we're going to just keep going on right here for now, and then we'll start bringing it home. Um, go to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 1. Do you know that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, um, you know, the different Gospels have different purposes, if you will. They were writing for a different reason. Um, it's not for redundancy that we have four Gospels. You all know that. I'm just reminding you things you already know. And the Gospel of Mark was really about displaying Jesus as the anointed one, as the Messiah that manifested the kingdom like we just read about, actually. Not in eloquent words, right? In manifestation of the Spirit and power, okay? The Gospel of Mark is kind of dedicated to that. And and I'm just going to start reading in chapter 1, verse 25. And um, this is a recording of, of Jesus in his ministry, okay? Verse 25 says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, He's, he's with a demonized person. And he says, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Isn't it funny that Jesus steps up and frees a man from demonic torment and they say, what new doctrine is this? Did you hear that? Now I'm going to tell you why. We don't think about doctrine properly. Okay? Track with me. This is important. We think doctrine is for the halls of your MDiv or or the doctor of ministry. You know, all this... All that we think of theology and doctrine. You see, they understood that doctrine was what you practiced for real in your faith in relationship with God. They didn't think of doctrine the way we think of it. So now listen to me. This was new, crazy doctrine. 
You see that, don't you? Jesus was changing their doctrine. Up to this point, they would talk about the kingdom of God, a kingdom they were waiting for. You follow me? Up to this point, they would talk about the word of God. The highest rabbis would talk about the word of God. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he comes with a new doctrine. He doesn't talk about the word of God. He becomes a manifester of that kingdom. And he says, the kingdom is upon you starting right now. And he didn't just say it. He would manifest in the power of the Spirit that kingdom. That's a funny new doctrine. And watch this, verse 28, and immediately his fame spread throughout all the region and around Galilee. Now it moves, um, actually go to Mark chapter 6. And I'm just going to quickly show you this progression. Yeah, this is good. We can do this. Okay. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. Got it? They're astonished. Saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. First, let's just start right there. Do you understand why they were offended at him? Why? What he was doing. He was manifesting the kingdom. That's a crazy new doctrine. They couldn't keep up. <laughs> I'm offended about that. I can't keep up with you here, okay? He's, but that's not why we're reading this. I want you to see this. Um, we have to say this. You know that the person sitting in next, first of all, starting with you, but the person sitting in next to you, let's start there, actually. Do you know that you can be too familiar with them to know <laughs> that they are the place of the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Are you following me? Like if some person, some person you'd never met came through town and said, I'm a prophet of the Lord, and, and, and they kind of knew what was going on in your life by, by spiritual, by word of knowledge or something like that, and they started telling you, I believe you need prayer for this, and you're going, I do, and then they pray for you, and the answer comes. That comes a lot easier than believing that the person sitting in next to you is the place of God's power and anointing. And you know that's what's happening right here, familiarity. Now go with me one more step, okay? Who is the person that you're most familiar with? Yourself. <laughs> Unless, I mean, it may not be true in every case. <laughs> in that case, we have healing ministries. Um, no, we are most familiar with, with ourself. I'm going to tell you something. The person that it is hardest to believe that you are the place of the power of God and that his anointing is for you, for the manifestation of the kingdom, because that's the only way you can witness to the goodness of the Father. The hardest person to believe that about is yourself. There is a familiarity with yourself that makes that tremendously hard to believe. Anybody relate? Everybody's just staring at me. You're scaring me a little. <laughs> So I want to tell you about this progression. Actually, we're, this is perfect. Okay. I want you to notice this. Who would like to know the progression of how as a disciple of Jesus, as a Christian, you become someone who walks in the power, walks into or journeys into the power of anointing? Would you like to know how this works? Okay, watch this. We just read it. The first step in this journey and you'll think of this, I'm telling you stuff you know, you just need to be told you know it. The first step is we're amazed at Jesus. 
Anybody been in, in that season? I mean, that's where it starts and that's where it ends, right? But that's the first step in our journey. We meet him. He begins to act. We begin to see him in people's lives. We begin to see the kingdom break out over families that were once broken, once in bondage. A lot of times it's our own family. It's for sure our own self, right? And we're amazed at Jesus like we just read. We're amazed. Now, step two, he sends out the 12, and we're going to read one just really briefly here in a minute. But the next step in this journey is um, we become amazed at ourselves. See, now watch this. This is what happened. God begins to send us, and we begin to do these things. Um, all of a sudden, for the first time in our life, we, there's a sick person is presented to us or a family that needs a breakthrough or something, and we, we pray for them. Or we lay hands and we begin to pray for this and, and it happens. <laughs> and we're like, and we're more astonished than anybody. Anybody been there? And I'm like, you know, praying for the sick and they're like, wow, I just, that, I'm, I've just been healed. I just, we had somebody right here, we prayed for their spine. They had a lifetime of spinal injury. And, and I and, and another elder, in this, we prayed for them and, and right on the spot they were healed. Well, I'm the one going, <laughs> you are? <laughs> you got it? And I've been walking healing ministry for a long time, for decades of my life. But step two in this journey is we hit this point where we're amazed at the power of God in us. Now I want to show you something. I want you to go to Mark 17, and I want to show you the third step in this journey of becoming people of belief Instead of unbelief, that's a good thing, isn't it? You like to be a person of belief instead of unbelief? I think about that prayer of the guy who says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Sometimes I just sit in prayer with the Lord, and I just find myself in awe of how much unbelief I still have. It's almost astounding how much unbelief we still carry. So here it is, Matthew 17, verse 14. I'm going to start there if I didn't say that yet. Let me see. Yeah, perfect. Okay, verse 14. And when they came, I'm sorry, let me try that again. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, so this man's coming up to Jesus. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. What's this? Demonic oppression, right? It's going on in this, his son's life. And he says, so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. <laughs> Can you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking? <laughs> okay, they must have been going, oh, he's, they're being told on, right? Like tattle, like you have to tell him. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that way in your ministry, in your life? Okay, that's what's going on here. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. That's kind of harsh. Do you know what the word perverse means? Like really? It means to distort or misinterpret. Uh-oh, we're talking about doctrine again. Did you catch it? Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and generation that, that distorts or misinterprets. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now watch this. We're going somewhere. First of all, let me say this too. Did you just note that what we just read is an example of Jesus' disciples in spiritual failure? Okay? It's not just you. <laughs> Go ahead and keep your belief. Go ahead and let the word of God stretch you out instead of making a theology of unbelief. Okay, And I'm going to show you what happens here. They just had an instance of failure. They tried to cast a demon to give freedom, to give healing to someone. Does God love that boy? To, to a, a boy that God loves, and they fail. And Jesus says, bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of them, out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? I'm going to show you. This is the step three, okay? Amazed at Jesus, amazed at self, and then eventually 
It is God's idea that we grow into a place where, where what we're amazed by is when we have spiritual failure. Did you see it? Now, this is recording that they are more disturbed by the lack of ability from the courts of heaven. You see, that's what's abnormal by this point. It's abnormal for them not to have authority over the demonic. The ability to heal the boy has become abnormal. I want you to notice their response, though. Do they start rewriting a theology to match their failure in the moment? No. What does it do? It draws them to Jesus. I'm going to read that again. It says, the disciples came to Jesus privately. Listen to me, guys. You're made for the power of God. When someone is sick there, go ahead and pray for them. Do it for 99 people. (laughs) And all 99 times, if and when you experience disappointment or absence of the power of God there for you, it's okay. Just let it draw you to Jesus. And, And you do what they do. You go, Jesus, what's the problem? You follow? Why do I not, why am I not perfect? In other words, why am I not complete? Why do I lack what I need to fulfill what what the Word of God says the calling on my life is? The calling on my life is to set people free, to cast demons, to heal the sick, to manifest the kingdom of God so that people see the Father. That's the calling. But it's risky, right? You've got to start with a drop of belief. And then you've got to step out there and believe that he means for me to be the place of his power. I'm going to do this 99 times or 999 times. And every time I experience disappointment, I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to go to Jesus privately. And I'm going to say, Jesus, what's the problem? This is not what I read in your word. Amen? Watch this. All right, I'm bringing it home. A couple of verses. Verse 20 says, so Jesus said to them, here's the answer. In other words, they're saying, what's the problem? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. Ouch. Do you know these, <laughs> you might as well go ahead and let it be real. These guys, do you know how that must have made these guys feel? They're out there doing this stuff. They're casting demons. They're healing the sick. Um, I I skipped over the places they were in my notes. It says over and over, he sent them out to do this stuff, and the word of God basically says, and they went out and did it. (laughs) Weird formula. I know the the kingdom of God is really complicated. Jesus sends them out to do it, and they go out and do it. (laughs) Here we have this failure moment. He says it's because of your unbelief. They had to be thinking, we're doing exactly the same thing we do every time. I mean, I've, I don't know. I have a feeling it made some of them mad. Get off my case. <laughs> unbelief. But that's what he says because of un- your unbelief. Now watch this. It goes on and says, For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Do you hear what he's telling them? In a moment of failure, when they draw into intimacy with Jesus and say, what's the problem? Jesus says, um, the problem is unbelief because if, if you had a mustard seed faith, you, you can ask me and nothing will be impossible for you. How many of you think Jesus meant it when he said that? What's he talking about? He's talking about the anointing. Nothing will be impossible for you. I'm not going to make a theology that disregards Jesus' words right there. I refuse to. I don't care how many times I fail and how many times I need to go back into intimacy and ask Jesus, what the heck is going on here? Um, One thing I'm never going to do is make a theology of unbelief because of me, because of my shortcoming, because I'm still on a journey to completion. 
It speaks nothing about what he speaks or says. He says, nothing's impossible to me. That's his plan. He says, I'm the place of the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to believe that. And then these beautiful words, and this really is the last verse here, verse 21. However, this kind, Jesus says to them, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, you realize Jesus didn't, um, in the narrative we just read, Jesus didn't go off, pray, and fast, and then come back and heal. That's not what's recorded, right? He says this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, and yet he stepped right up and took care of the problem. In other words, I think this is telling us something, okay? And, and here's the closing point, okay? It's a life of intimacy like we just read. It's a life of belief in that I should be able to do this. You follow? And I'm in, an, I'm in a certain kind of intimacy that when I'm not there yet, I live a life of prayer and fasting where I go to Jesus and I say, Lord, keep growing me into what I'm supposed to be able to do. You realize Jesus never prayed for anyone to be healed. We just heard this in the seminar this week, didn't we? Jesus never prayed for someone to be healed. He never prayed for someone to be set free from a demon, for a bondage to be broken off. Do you know that he, he never did? What did he do? He commanded. He already had a life of prayer and fasting, and what he did was walk up and say, be healed, <laughs> be set free. The anointing was available, just like it was in this case where the disciples failed. And it failed, failed's a bad word. I just don't have a better way. You all understand what I'm saying there, right? I don't have a better way to say that. They're still on the journey. Anybody still on the journey? Yeah, but how many of you want to believe you have, you have not even scratched the amount of power and authority you're made for so that you can witness to a really awesome father? Who, and Jesus said the kingdom is upon you. In other words, it's within your reach. That power and authority, that goodness of the father upon you means it's close enough you can reach and take it and you can bring it into this moment. That's what the word of God says. Okay. I'm just going to take, um, can we just take one minute to pray? And this is what I want to do. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Um, I'm not sure if I did this or not, but there's a contrast here, isn't there, between unbelief and belief, okay? Or between truth and kind of building doctrines, <laughs> personal doctrines that are actually made in unbelief, actually made in not what happens, not who God is, but what didn't happen and who God's not. Okay, so I want to do this. Um, just take some deep breaths. If you're comfortable with it, close your eyes. And the Holy Spirit, we invite you today. We invite you to speak. And we just want to Make a space for you, Lord. And will you show us where we have unbelief, where we're letting disappointment in our participation with you, something from our experience that doesn't tell the truth. Will you just reveal that now? Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to take a risk here. I feel like there's somebody here, maybe more than one, but it feels like at least one where 
you actually used to operate in the power of a particular ministry. And you've had some disappointing experiences. You've had moments where you've stepped out to do that and you've kind of pushed it aside because you've had disappointing moments. I'm just going to give a second. If that's you and you're bold enough, I want you to just to shoot your hand up. Yep. Got, okay. Yep. All over the place. Okay. All right. Now it's up to you. You can, um, you can stay seated just like you are, um, and we're going to pray for you either way. But um, if, you're, if you're bold enough, and this is okay, I'm just going to ask each of you who just raised your hand, I just want you to stand up in a boldness. Just, just stand up. We're going to release something here. Okay? Is it okay if I pray for you, each of you? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just command right now, in the authority of the name of Jesus, the authority that you give, we're just commanding that the enemy has to get his hands off right now. You have to take your hands off of these ministries in the name of Jesus. And we are casting down every argument and every, every thought that sets itself up against the power of your kingdom in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask for healing over these disappointing moments. And in fact, as we repent, we repent for the fact that we have allowed our confusion, our disappointment to begin to rewrite the calling you have over our life. And now we say no to that. And we agree with the will of heaven that they are made for the power of your kingdom in the name of Jesus. And just receive the Holy Spirit back as being restored into that ministry. Thank you, Jesus. The ministry just is released in the name of Jesus. The gifts are beginning to flow again. You are having restoration over every place disappointment or confusion has pushed this to the side. The calling is yours. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We release. We just cast the confusion out in the name of Jesus. It has to go now. And we ask for restoration of the entire ministry, every part of it, all the power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Is this for both of you? Okay. All right. Thank you, Jesus. We're released. Be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Fresh, just like it used to be before, even more powerful. Because imparted anointing brings increase of the anointing by the word of God. Amen. Thank you. Church, do you agree with that? Amen. Amen.